Hello, my fellow Rollers for Change. Uh, this episode is a conversation with Jack Birkenstock of the Bodana Group. Now, I'm, I'm listening to the edit of the podcast, and I'm thinking, and, and this is a question we need to address in the future, I'm thinking, is there a depth psychology that matches with our board gaming milieu that we're trying to create? We're, we're using these tools of board games, and I'm wondering if we can get to shadow work. I'm wondering if we can get to transpersonal work. I'm wondering if we can get to the humanistic side of board gaming. And I don't have an answer, and I promise you there's no answer in this particular episode, but it may spark the seed for anybody who's looking for such a thing. It may spark the seed, as it did with me, for you to leap out and find that depth psychology within the board gaming community. I think it's ex- I think it exists, and I think that uh, we should uh, pit all our strategies towards this particular notion. Anyway, that was just ancillary thoughts that have nothing to do with the podcast except that it sent me there. But this podcast is uh, a discussion with Jack about the Bodana Group and all the amazing work that they are doing. Uh, They are in the forefront of this idea of using role-playing games and board games within the therapeutic uh, environment, and uh, they're they're just doing some great work. And so I think that you, dear listener, are going to be very excited whether you're, you're a gamer who is looking for change through board games or you're a therapist who is looking for a way to use board games as a change agent. All these things are going to be exciting to you, and uh, let me promise you that this is a very dynamic conversation with Jack. He's, he's quite a character, and I think you'll enjoy it a lot. So Let's get to rolling for change. That that's a thing we say, right? Yeah, let's let's get to rolling for change. To Rolling for Change, a podcast about the therapeutic value of board gaming, and today I am joined by the wonderful Jack Birkenstock of the Bogdana Group. Thank you so much for joining me, Jack. Oh, thank you so much, Woody. It's uh, This has been a long time coming, I, I guess is one of the nicest way to say, right? Yeah, it, it is. It, uh, it's been a long time getting uh, Rolling for Change to the point that I could just sit down and do it when I wanted to do it, so I, I'm really excited. Um, but I'm really excited to talk to you because you're doing so much. Like I was, I was looking on your on your fa- your uh, your website. I can't speak this morning on your <laughs> website recently, and and just looking at all the work you guys are doing, and I'm just so like I'm excited for you because there's so much good stuff going on for you guys. Uh, there, there, no, there has been a while. It's actually, uh, it's actually Bodana's tenth year uh, in operation, uh, and it, it's been one heck of a steady climb over the years. Um, started off as just trainings and consultation, then we started breaking into the therapeutic gaming aspect, uh, and since then, uh, we we have role playing game programs that we offer. We have private pay and agency run. Uh, therapeutic role-playing, as well as educational sessions for professionals, um, trainings for companies, public speaking, uh, talking about a variety of topics. So we've we've really tried to kind of branch out um, 
to try to capture as much as we can do, not not just to provide the service, but I think one of the big things that is kind of a stamp to Bodana or a stamp of Bodana, I guess, is that we really want to proliferate this idea out there about how gaming is therapeutic and beneficial from anywhere from a lay perspective all the way up to something that's a clinical intervention uh, and just kind of let people know how to do that. You know, a, a lot of times with modalities and approaches, people are kind of like take the what I call the Schmeagle approach where it's kind of like, you know, this is my precious. I'm going to keep it for myself. And, <laughs> and it's like, well, OK, uh, yeah, if you would like to do that, sure. But, you know, they, there's a lot of people doing this. And I think one of the safeguards that I know we always talk about is. This is one of these things that, to a large degree, there is some finesse to it. So it's something that we need to do responsibly. And to do that, we need to share common and best practices to to be able to arrive at a very good collaborative effort with this. You know, we don't want people just kind of going off the hip like, well, d and great. I'll buy mines of thin, uh, what is it, Fan Delver, and hey, I got to practice. And it's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> hold on, hold on, dude, hold on. <laughs> Let, let's pull it back for a second. There's a lot that goes into this kind of work. Yeah, and, you know, you guys have, have set it up so well. I, I, I wanted to, and I imagine that Hostway's done this on Geek Therapy before, so I apologize if I'm going to ask some of the same questions that he might have asked, but I wanted to get to you, you call yourself the Bodana Group, which obviously has its roots in Buddhism, and I'm wondering what the Buddhist roots of Bodana is, and how how does Buddhism combine with board gaming and therapeutic role playing? Wow, that is actually a question that I have never directly been asked. I love it. Um, <laughs> well, uh, it, well, you're completely accurate. Uh, Bodana is a Sanskrit word uh, that means leading to an awakening or an understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the reason that we initially had kind of Bodana's is I'll kind of give the short version because I tell this story a lot. Uh, when Bodana first started, we had all uh, been professionals who had worked in a juvenile treatment facility, and uh, we had all been laid off at the same time. It was a time where they were moving away from residential-based treatment to community-based treatment. Mm-hmm. And so we were all kind of out of a job with, a, with you know, a particular set of skills, you know, that we couldn't really apply in, in a lot of other ways, because we worked with uh, persons with sexually problematic behaviors. So it, it was victims as well as perpetrators of abuse. And we first started out going, well, we have all this knowledge and all this experience of working with this demographic. Let's start training people on, you know, the approach to working with that. And, you know, we also talk a lot about burnout and vicarious trauma and, you know, just some of the some of the struggles in trying to help people make better decisions and to help people move beyond, you know, pain and trauma that they've had. So as we started to kind of explore this, we found out one of the realities of the moment was, well, training budgets weren't what they used to be and people really weren't taking a whole lot. So we said, well, we need to make money. We're a nonprofit. So uh, like every other nonprofit, we ran fundraisers and that fundraiser uh, was birthed in Save Against Fear. Um, Saving Against Fear's name actually came from the fact that we wanted the con initially 
to benefit the idea of we want you to make your saving throw to save against the fear of talking about abuse and trauma. So if you if you see abuse, speak up about it. If you are a you know person who has suffered abuse, we want you to try to find someone you can open up to and talk to about this. So the whole idea behind Save Against Fear was born out of this identity of where we started. Now, the interesting part was kind of along this journey, when we ran our first Save Against Fear, uh, we met up with Rich Thomas, uh, who is the uh, director of uh, Onyx Path Publishing, who is formerly of White Wolf. Okay. And Rich started sharing with us that he had been getting all of these different stories over the years from people who had played in the world of darkness settings, you know, vampire, werewolf, what have you, and how people were actually privately Uh and personally using the game as a catharsis. So it was him kind of sharing people have been using this for therapy privately. And we started to go, well, wait a minute, there might be something to this idea. So we started exploring now as therapists and degreed professionals, because, you know, we had had a couple of years to, you know, follow through on pursuits with Bodana. Um, and we eventually came to this idea of wanting to pursue how gaming helped us and then branch that out into how we could be more clinically intentional to bring this idea to people in a, in a practical sense with running groups and, and sessions. So that's really where the whole idea came born out of now -hmm. as far as you know like buddhist thought and things like that a a big thing from my perspective is is just the whole idea of mindfulness practice um which is kind of a sticking point for me a lot because people use that word fairly blasé at this point where people like well be mindful be mindful you know be mindful of that and i go well do you know what that means being mindful is you know realizing you know it using the X card in lines and veils, that's mindfulness because we're being mindful of the content that we bring to the table and we're being mindful of the reactions of the other players. And, you know, so it's as much the story we write and the lives of the people that we're writing it and running it for, but then what happens at the table when we're taking all that in in this constantly swirling, present-centered moment activity to encourage growth and change. So I think that a lot of that practice of, of mindfulness and being, you know, if you're having an ab reaction to content in a game, there's, there's a reason you're having that ab reaction. There's a reason that that content is eliciting a response. So identifying that response or, you know, diving into what that is, is a very important part of this process because you're, you're, uh, they talk about bleed a lot, and it, and we be, believe that you either heed the bleed or avoid that transfer, or you seed the bleed, which is you kind of jump forward with the idea of, no, this is an important thing, but the important part is you're doing this with a trained professional. So it, uh, does that answer the question? It does, and, and I like this term bleed, and I want to make sure I understand it completely. So my interpretation of what you said was, the game is kind of a itself. You're role playing. You're you're in a facade kind of world, and the bleed is what's coming through the person that is not part of that character. Would that be fair to say that I I've captured that? Uh, that that's one aspect of bleed. Uh, bleed is kind of like a, a, a common way most people would kind of know it is like transference and countertransference. Okay. In a way where you know bleed is how much of the player identity bleeds into your character identity and then how much of the character identity or experience bleeds back into the player identity so we might 
learn like I mean one of the things is that you know as a player we always build a character that is part of us it's like any creative endeavor right you 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 write something paint something sculpt something draw something they, it carries a part of you so the characters that we create naturally always carry some vestige of us whether it's who we are at that moment whether it's who we once were I mean it, it an interesting exercise that I always encourage people to do is look at like really really look at the characters that you've played in role-playing games and match that up with like a biographical timeline of what you were going through at that time and you're go- if you really do that deep dive you'd be very surprised to find out some you know trends and you know the people intentionally using this to work out things that are going on in their lives. It's a very natural tendency because the game gives us this freedom to explore. So that idea of bleed is, you know, we could say you have a, a child that is a, a, you know, classic middle child syndrome. I'll just kind of pull that out of the ether. Um, mm-hmm. We could base that person's experience into their character background, or we could build that aspect of where that person struggles in terms of either like being noticed or getting attention or, you know, whatever the behavioral challenge might be, we can build that into the fabric of the narrative. And because of this idea of investing a person's identity and how we can transfer that back and forth, it's one of those brilliant ways that we trick our brain because the brain the synapses are still firing. Everything's kind of still going on all regular cylinders, whether it's a game or reality. So the learning is still taking place and, the, and, and you know, that content having meaningful impact, we can engage that and allow that bleed to say, well, you know, what did you learn from your character that, you know, we have our wristbands from years ago. One of our, our little things was WWYCD. What would your character do? <laughs> uh, so it, it was one of the, one of the themes of one of our save against fears, but it, but it really means a lot in terms of uh, I myself, you know, I, I'm a pretty gregarious, fun loving kind of outward going guy. But if you would have met me when I was, you know, pre-junior high school and high school, really kind of before I found role-playing, I I wasn't quite this outgoing. I was a very introverted child. I went through a lot of stuff. You know, my parents had a very ugly divorce and that was, you know, something that weighed kind of heavily and I was kind of, you know, felt like I was always in the background. Um, Gaming kind of allowed me to explore these characters that were at the time wish fulfillment and larger Mm -hmm. than life representations. And Mm -hmm. that did a lot to foster my creativity and also my confidence because I was, I was taking a risk. I was taking a chance, you know, it's like any art form when, when you're creative, part of it is about exploring boundaries and bursting through so you can take risks. Those risks then pay off as social benefit, which reinforces our ability to take more chances. So, you know, it's, it's so many ways that, you know, life, has kind of prepared me for where we're at. And, you know, I have felt the effect of bleed in that, you know, I played a lot of foppish, humorous characters over the years because I loved comedy. Mm. And that kind of developed this kind of zing, zing, zing. And people are like, man, where do you come up with this stuff? And I go, I'm not afraid to like take a chance on, on an impulse for a joke. Um, And that's, that's something that's kind of been built through my role playing. That's amazing. And I I never had the word bleed, but uh, for rolling for change, kind of the the seed of that is the the realization that when we play games the things that happen at the table are very definitely uh reflective of the person behind the game the person who's playing the game so the experiences that you have that are 
are dramatic, the experiences you have there with conflict, the way you respond to the various issues that board games raise, that if you can if you can be mindful, using that word as you yep. use it, if you can be mindful of your experience in a game, you're going to find out and learn a lot about yourself as the player. Um, and and that's that's the whole thing that Rolling for Change is, is under the belief of, that games do this to us. They they reflect our personalities back to us, and if we're conscious enough, we can catch that and make changes based on the feedback loop that we're getting from it. So oh, now yeah. I'm going to be using this term bleed because this, <laughs> this is – this is great. Yeah, if uh, actually look look at a lot of the work from uh, Sarah Lynn Bowman. Uh, she does a lot of work with uh, live action role playing, uh, educational role uh, LARPing. Um, she she talks rather extensively about the concept, and and it's something that really has a lot of impact. I mean that that's kind of a deeper emotional. I mean I like the way that you describe that because that's also where a lot of board game experience can come in as well where you know even not the big mindful emotional there's still some intentionality in terms of like if you look at a game like uh freedom the underground railroad it, yep. it it's one of my favorite board games not only because of the content not only because of you know i mean the mechanics are fascinating uh i'm not a history guy and i found this right. game just riveting but i read an article the, or a blog that a friend of mine wrote about the experience of, you know, you're playing this game and it's like, okay, here's a resource management thing for, you know, abolitionist, you know, materials and getting, you know, fundraising to stop slavery. And then on the other side, you have a worker placement movement game where you're getting, you know, persons from, you know, the Southern plantations up to, you know, Canada. Mm -hmm. And, and then you kind of have that like mic drop emotional impact moment of the game where you're, you literally talk to the people playing go i just want you to realize that your lose condition is if this many people die and these wooden blocks here if the ships come over and there's no room in the plantation those people are just killed those blocks are removed no no those people are killed these blocks actually remember a historic like they're a representation of the fact that this happened in our history and then mm -hmm. when you and that kind of takes your mind to a different place in that game giving a visual representation of, of, of a part of history is another kind of catharsis that, you know, board games are a little bit more kind of subtle most of the time on the therapeutic application because it's more, well, we'll play co-op games so that way we learn collaboration and communication and, you know, reciprocity and, you know, we're, we're just talking strategy about battle for Hogwarts, but really we're developing that way that we interface with other people. So, you know, games have a little bit more of a subtle edge when it's a board game, but mm -hmm. yeah, that, that role-playing uh, aspect of, you know, how we interface with our internal process and how we can change our narrative through playing a different narrative. I mean, that, that's the spirit of play and the spirit of, of, of the power of story. You know, you talked about. I'm I'm going backwards a little bit here. You talked about the the my precious experience, and I I've had a lot to to think about with that because when I first uh, came across the idea of rolling for change, when I first started to realize this, I, I think the thing that holds people back from collaboration uh, is the idea that yeah, it's my precious, but it's also the idea that you want to be noted for the thing that you've come up with the the creative gem that you've found within your within your psyche 
But then the other side of this I have to realize is also, you know, I don't know if you know who Rupert Sheldrake, you know this guy, Rupert Sheldrake? No, the name is not familiar. He is a, uh, I guess he's a transpersonal psychologist. I guess that's the way to put it for him. But he had this theory that kind of goes along with uh, Carl Jung's unconsciousness theory, uh, the collective unconsciousness theory, and that is the hundredth monkey theory. Um, have you fascinated. heard that one? No, but I love the title of it. I mean, perhaps it's because it sounds similar to Monkey Mind in Zen uh, approach. <laughs> but no, please, what? It, tell, tell me so, more. Hundredth monkey. The I, I'm going to do my best to encapsulate the hundredth monkey uh, idea is that it, monkeys all over the world are all presented with a particular kind of nut that requires a particular kind of way of opening it, and so all the monkeys have been attempting to open this nut. Then finally, on Island A, somewhere in the South Pacific, Monkey A finally opens the nut. And then all the other monkeys in the world suddenly learn how to open the nut. Because they're all interconnected, and now the knowledge is freely available because now the, it, it's risen to the surface for everyone. Ach- achievement unlocked. So now all exactly. of a sudden it's a, it's a For mass my upgrade. Yes. Okay. <laughs> wow. I love the. I can hear the Zelda music like playing in the background when this <laughs> happens, you know, monkey holding the opened nut up in the air, like, you know, the Triforce. Uh-huh. I, I always saw it as like the, the 2001 moment where they're, they're ba- bound, like banging things together. <laughs> oh, I love, I love that image. Uh, so, that's my new way of seeing things because I, it feels like, you know, you talk about the, the Godfather moment where we're all sitting around the table, uh, the, the five families of, of board gaming, all, uh, uh, what'd you call it? Uh, the, 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 five, the five families of the, of the gaming pathways. You, you represent live action role playing and you are from the board game contingent. You are from the, <laughs> from the role playing side. And uh, over here we have dice and card games. But, you know, we have a meeting here. <laughs> you know, so. That moment, it, it, it's sad that that, that that experience happened at PAX Unplugged. And it's sad that that room was so loud because it was hard for me to really pay attention to all the great things that were being said. And so I kind of kept uh, communication over in a corner because that's there was just too big a table. Um, but that was the moment that I realized that this is not happening in a a vacuum. This is not you know an individualized pocket. This all came up kind of for all these people at one time. Uh, yeah. And, and this it, table is representation that we have all been in different pockets of the world, thinking and doing some of the same things just in different ways, and here we are discovering each other. Well, well, it's the same as any other uh, – because one of the things that um, kind of comes up a lot is, is folks are uh, – again, I hope I don't get on this – my typical like Apple crate rant of like you know research-driven versus research-proven and all that stuff. But so folks always say, well, well, what is the modality and, have you, and has it been tested? And I go, well, mm-hmm. hold on. Let, let's examine first of all the fact that role-playing therapy or role-playing games as therapy – um, it's not necessarily not like, a it's modality. Not a, yeah, it's not a new thing. It's a, it's an amalgam. It it mixes rational emotive behavioral therapy, psychodrama, uh, expressive therapy, narrative therapy. You know, kind of more directly. You know, mixed with psychodrama. So it, you also have some CBT in there. You have some mindfulness mm-hmm. practice, DBT. Like it it literally is this hodgepodge of research driven practices. But what what it really is is 
it it goes to I think what is one of the most core two ideas of therapy and one is first do no harm so you obviously want to make sure you know that you're not induced like people say well it's exposure therapy so if someone's had this in their life I'm going to use the game to like kind of hit them with the content and I'm like oh, oh, no, no, no 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 don't do, don't do that that's irresponsible uh, yes. But on the other hand, it's it's the truthful fact that you can you can talk as much as you want about like research driven, research indicated, whatnot. But all that indicates is a likelihood of this being the most probable successful intervention. And even there, it's it's truthfully, it's always the strength of the rapport between the practitioner and the recipient that that drives any therapeutic process. If if I trust you, if I like you and I feel that you are giving me information and advice and counsel, whatnot, and helping me to my to be my best person, then I'm going to value what it is that you're offering me that much more. As opposed to if we have no rapport, you can give me the most research-driven whatever, I ain't having it. Because it, it, it again, like almost every other thing that we've been learning about human behavior, it is relationships. So the, the idea that there is one way, you know, to do this and like, you know, my way is the best way, that, that's a complete fallacy. I mean, I know Hawk Robinson approaches what he does in, in this vein through a recreational therapist mindset. Mm-hmm. I approach it from a more traditional mental health area. The Adams focus a lot on social skills development yeah. at game to grow So, you know, everybody has their own little slice. And what we're, what we're starting to find is just what you had said. You know, the, we didn't come up with this. I mean, there were articles. Actually, if you even go back to a lot of writings of Freud and Jung, they even write a lot about exploring narrative through the subconscious like let's explore metaphor let's explore allegory because there's there's a reason that these things are you know to use today's word tropes you know there's a reason that these things are a collective representation as a as as a people so the idea of using story and propelling this forward is isn't and isn't anything that is brand new it's something that we've been exploring for for years. I mean, look back at, you know, Native American storytellers and, you know, uh, you know, uh, even like your Japanese plays where, you know, we talk about like these morality plays, that's use of story for education, mm-hmm. teaching and morality. This mm-hmm. is not new. I, I think that we're now more engaging in the practice that, you know, by exploring this character and the, and the ramifications of their actions in this kind of safe, controlled environment, you get this opportunity to grow and change. Now, how a person does that, it, it there are so many different ways that we've seen this work, uh, whether it's, you know, we have one guy who was like a wallflower and, you know, he's playing in, in our private pay group and when he gets into his character, when he really feels that character moment and we're diving into the character's past, he'll get up and he'll walk around the room as his character. And, you know, the the parent has basically talked about his level of confidence in speaking with others has increased dramatically. And we're kind of sitting back there, you know, not, not one to take this process for granted, but we're like, well, of course, because he's learning to talk, you know, and now we even as an experiment, he's like, can I try running a game? And there were people who had said, you know, oh, my gosh, that's that's that. No. How? Why would you ever let the client run the game? That's just that's just crazy talk. No, it's oh, no, it's not. 
it's perfect. He, the first time he ran it, it, it was true theory of mind. It was true, like, he was on stage, there was a spotlight, he was just telling the story that was in his brain. There could have been players or not, it would not have mattered uh, a bit. But he took that experience and we kind of gave feedback and we allowed the group, other participants to kind of, you know, give him some pointers. Uh, and then this past year, he, he said, well, I'd like to try that again. Okay. Uh, how do you want to do it? You know, do you want to run your own adventure or whatever? He says, I want to continue the story we've been doing, but I want to do like an off thing. Okay, so like a side quest. All right, cool. Now this time around, and this is maybe about a good nine, ten months after the previous experiment, if you will, um, he was more attentive to player feedback. He was more engaging with getting the other players involved, asking questions, sitting back in that kind of silence moment that, you know, DMs and therapists both enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's phenomenal because like, it's not like we ran him through like a five week course on GMing. It was, well, this is one of the ways that you could be attentive to your players. And it's not just about your story. It's about everybody's story. And it's, and it's fascinating that, you know, talk as much as you want about, you know, theory of mind and, you know, autism spectrum disorders. That's a powerful learning tool. And he gained so much just from the fabric of learning how other DMs ran, because we give all mm-hmm. of our guys in our in our groups the opportunity to run sessions if they would like. We consider it a huge growth moment when when they go to running little adventures, and they can pick whatever system they want. We have one one guy who designed a, his own five E rip off of Naruto because he loves the Naruto property. So okay. he came up with all this like, well, this is how the schools look and this is how, you know, jitsus work because he created like this mana point by system, very, very similar to like old school D&D. Um, and it, and it was, it's just very great watching, you know, these guys engage in this hobby because then the other benefit is you're learning how to play role-playing games. You're working on social skills development. Go to a game store. Because we actually run occasional sessions from game stores. We don't mm-hmm. use persons real, like we use character names. We don't talk about issues directly. So there's no HIPAA. Yeah. But we're normalizing yeah. therapy now as a way, and this is just another aspect, as a way to develop natural supports. So, you know, maybe in two years, you don't need to come to group with us anymore because you have your own circle. And, and gaming is now a language you use to communicate with people. So it, one of the things I enjoy about this practice and, and sharing stories like this, because some people say, well, why are you giving all your trade secrets away? I go, well, because I ain't the only guy who owns the trade. Like, there's professionals all across the United States, all across, like, we've consulted with people from Austria and Australia about mm-hmm. therapeutic gaming. So we're clearly not the only people that are right. doing this. And and like I said, kind of at the at the top of the show, uh, if, if we're not sharing strategies, people are going to make the errors that we have made earlier in this process. So in, instead of holding and just going, oh, wait, you know, it's not like we're hazing someone for a fraternity for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, it's not like, hey, you got to go through it because I went through it. And it's like, no, we can get better. And, and one yeah. of the ways that we get better is by saying, well, when we were starting out, this is what we learned. So maybe you don't want to go down that road. You can, but I'm just giving you a heads up. You might run into that. And people are like, oh my gosh, thanks. So, I and again, maybe I'm just weird about it. Maybe some of us are just, I love the fact of 
I know I'm not the only person that started this. So I'm not fooling myself into that paradigm, but I love being one of the progenitors and one of the people that's helping drive it forward. I'm proud to be a part of that group. Uh, and I, and I think if we all took that approach unilaterally, we would get the benefit of all of these different approaches and all these strategies. So now if you take a professional who is maybe from a psychodrama vein, well, what can they learn from, you know, Adam Davis, because that's his specialty. Okay, uh, yeah. if, you know, if, if someone's in a recreation therapy portion, what can they learn from Hawk that, you know, we can throw in to a person's development uh, so I think I think that's the better key to success as well as legitimacy of the model because it shows the different uses mm-hmm. from the different perspectives because now every perspective has their own set of documentation and validation and research that validates that portion of the modality, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you were talking and I, I, was, I have this question that I ask myself sometimes and I haven't come up with a way to test it yet. Obviously, I need to kind of work on uh, my research skills and things of that nature. But does the game itself, by itself, does any particular game, in your mind, just automatically confer a therapeutic benefit onto the player without I, uh, without the intervention <laughs> of a of a trained therapist? Uh, depends on what you mean by therapeutic, uh, which is another weird uh, Bodana split. Uh, well, I wouldn't say split, but another way that we describe the model, because people say, well, I play games with my friends. Is that therapeutic? Yeah, absolutely it is. It's not clinically beneficial. It's not clinically okay. therapeutic. Because, uh, I, I mean, we all enjoy that. I, I love how, you know, we're, we're but you and I are both out there, so we can kind of, you know, spin spin philosophical about the old days where the big the big worry you know amidst the satanic panic was the the Uh distraction ethic of well this person's going to get over invested in the fantasy and they're going to lose themselves so it's 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 a distraction it's it's dangerous no more dangerous than a vacation (laughs) <laughs> yeah. we, we we all take vacations we take days off we we engage in pursuits that are relaxing to us because they're stimulating they're engaging or you know there's weeks where i've been jack for 40 hours this week i don't want to be jack tonight i want to be <laughs> you know whatever character i'm playing that night and i want to be in in the cthulhu world or i want to play kids on bikes or i want to you know play a new board game or something because i just don't want to have that it's an unwind it's an escape escapism is not a negative thing um so on that end all games all play again as long as we are not doing harm to others or taking advantage or whatnot is therapeutic i mean even the animal kingdom play uses play i i shared a video i don't know if you've seen it about it's this uh, i think it's a stork or Mm -hmm. uh, some bird who finds a golf ball and and the bird like hits it on the ground and finds it, it bounces. And this video is is one of the most joyful things because literally this bird is like, oh my God, man, this is phenomenal. Like <laughs> like he'll, he'll bounce the golf ball on the ground. It'll launch into the air. And then the bird literally is like freaking out like, yeah, man, yeah. And I'm like, that that is the most powerful, like power of play thing that you could ever look at because – this is just the bird discovering simple physics in a in a in a golf ball, but yeah. it's so like woohoo! You know, it's like he it's like he's giggling, you know, because this is just so much fun, and it seems like one of the most mindful mindless things ever. But 
realistically, that's part of the reason that it's therapeutic is that it allows us to relax. It allows us to to kind of break down those typical constructs of our, of our cognition. I mean, one of my favorite books is um, the the misleading mind. Uh, it's this this whole book. It's it's written from a Buddhist perspective. I unfortunately can't remember the the author at the moment, but it's this whole idea of how uh, our brains aren't really as reliable as we think they are. <laughs> uh, it it our brains give us false information. It interprets situations from our past, which is you know hindsight is never twenty twenty. Hindsight is written completely to the narrative you want to construct, kind of taking it back to narrative. So so then when we talk to the to the difference of clinical, uh, really one of the one of the other things that we kind of take pride in at Bodana is that we have a wide array of systems that we are able to run because we kind of realize, you know, as much as I personally own up to the fact that I, I am not a Tolkien fan, uh, mm-hmm. I'm that kind of weird guy that loves The Hobbit more than Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, I, I played a ton of D&D over the years. So I'm kind of fantasied out. You know, ah, bet- okay. between Game of Thrones and whatever. So I love Call of Cthulhu. I love Shadowrun. I love Kids on Bikes. Like all of these weird games um, that that I enjoy, I kind of realize. Well, wait a minute. D and D is accessible, and I'm not taking anything away from from it because it's what brought me into the hobby. It's what brought most people into the hobby. But it, there is some value in the fact that some systems for some people, uh, it, it's it, it's as much about matching the person to the theme, the genre, yeah. the mechanics, the resolution system as part of the mechanics. Like there's a lot of finesse that goes into even the selection of games. You know, it's like that old, T- you know, the naming of cats is a difficult matter, that old T.S. Eliot, <laughs> old possum yeah. thing. You know, the, the choosing of games is a difficult matter. You know, it, it, it just didn't grab it off the shelf because... You know, if you're dealing with very young kids, D&D might be too crunchy for them. It might be a little bit too rules intensive. So you might want mm-hmm. no thank you evil because, you know, it's open. But then, oh, hold on, you might have like a 10 to 12 age range who looks at the box and goes, yeah, that's too kiddie for me. I don't want to play that baby stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. So maybe we have to look at Pathfinder for kids or Hero Kids or even further going to games like Meddling Kids, which is where you create your own Scooby-Doo mystery crew. Uh, complete with what they call the wild card, which is like the anthropomorphic talking whatever, uh, you know, or the gentleman's ghost if you're old enough to remember those cartoons. Um, but the idea is that the game also allows for that level of immersion through interest, which is another big factor of this game that, you know, people say, well, you can't do this with everybody. Well, yes, you're absolutely correct. You can. Right. Some, so, some people aren't going to cop to this particular method where you, you have to kind of, it's like improv. You have to commit to the bit. So if if you know you're working on your character, we don't have to openly like break scene because that's the other thing we don't do is we don't uh, unless it's very very appropriate we don't stop every five seconds and go how does everybody feel? Okay, <laughs> that would just know. take you out of the out of the whole milieu. Then uh, that that's exactly the point. It takes you out of that immersion experience, which is where a lot of that bleed can happen because we have so many aha moments. Like we had the, one of our. Uh, the Naruto guy from our private pay group, uh, he kept doing this whole thing where it was his first time ever playing role playing, which is always fun when we have, you know, a, a client who's first time role playing. Yeah. And he's going through these adventures and he's literally like Mr. Burst Through Door. And it's, you know, he turns into Arrow Pincushion Man. And, <laughs> and so after a while, he's like, his one of his peers was like, 
could you please not do that? <laughs> like, I, I'm wasting all my healing on you. Seriously, we don't have that many potions. And then he's like, well, wait a minute. Can I look through the keyhole? And we are like, sure. You can absolutely <laughs> look through the keyhole. And, and it was astounding that, like, he never considered that an option. And then he, he kind of sat back with, like, that, you like Krabby Patty Squidward, like, look in his face. And yeah. he was like, wait a minute. I know what you're doing. And I was like, what are we playing D&D? What are we doing? He's like, you're trying to get me to think about the consequences of my actions. And I was like, am I? Or <laughs> or, or, or do you just not want to die <laughs> as a character? And he's like, no, I think you're trying to do this. I go, yeah, we kind of are, but you came at it at your own. And that, and that I think is the point that when you, when you design things appropriately and when you're using the right session and the right game, it lends itself to more immersion, which is going to lend itself to more investment. And again, that investment also is part of the rapport. If, if we're talking about fantasy and I don't like fantasy, we're not going to have a great conversation. So yeah. if, I'm, if I'm gaming fantasy and you like sci-fi, you're not going to get as much out of that experience. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a big aspect of, you know, with choosing the right game. Every game has the potential to be therapeutically beneficial, like clinically, it, it's a matter of how well it matches to the needs of the client and how you use the mechanics, I, I think is, is a lot. And that's where sharing of ideas comes in because, you know, we use a lot of indie systems. Uh, uh, Spectrum Games has two games, Retro Star and Cartoon Action Hour, that I absolutely love because one emulates Saturday morning cartoon shows, the other emulates cheesy 70s science fiction. But they both have a, a rule mechanic where most of the time you're going to fail because let's think about like Buck Rogers and Battlestar Galactica, the first mm-hmm. 40, 45 minutes, you're not doing well. <laughs> it's, That's, yeah. you know, it's that last 10 minutes that, that is, that is saves the day. Um, so the system helps teach resilience through the idea that, you know, you can it's, and it's the same mechanic that's been used in a lot of other systems. You can succeed and, give up control of your character or you can fail and keep narrative control of your character. Sometimes that, yeah, I think I'm going to go with it. Well, let's see what failure sometimes can take us. We don't always win. It's about how we construct the narrative of losing. So yeah, that, I hope that answers the question. I hope I'm not oh, absolutely, no, absolutely too philosophical here. No, you're, you're, you're singing, you're singing in my choir right now. Um, <laughs> You know, I, you're gonna have to write down all of these names because I haven't heard some of these role-playing games, and I, I'm trying to become more familiar with these indie role-playing games because you're right. There's, there's kind of a, a cathedral of you know Pathfinder and D and D and a few others that that are the main go-to's for most places and most people. But there's such a host of creative stuff that's coming out out of Kickstarter, oh out of drive-through yeah. role-playing games. Yes. Uh, it, it's just amazing. You know, I have one that I kickstarted called Damn the Man Save the Music, and it's a role-playing <laughs> game about being a working at a music store in the 90s. And that's that's the story. You're, you're working so on a, a big event. It's, it's Empire Records, the role-playing game? That's it. That's it right there. Are it's you Empire serious? Records, the role-playing game. Yes. Oh, I've got to tell me that is one of my wife's favorite movies. So I, what is the name of this again? Now I got to get lists from you. (laughs) (laughs) Damn the man, save the music. Damn the man, save the music. Oh my God. Is it, is it, uh, is the Kickstarter over? 
The Kickstarter's over, but maybe you can get it at Drive Through RPG. I haven't looked for it recently. Oh, it's I just have... a little thin book. It doesn't oh, really. Wonderful. It's not really a deep. It's like maybe an hour to two hour role playing game, but wow. it 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 has all this potential for just creating a neat little story that has nothing to do with the D and D world. So it's just fantastic. Oh yeah. Well, I you're you're talking about another kind of like talking about the indie set. I mean, there's a lot of games. Uh, I know uh, Barack Blackburn, uh, a developer. He's done a lot of work for Spectrum. He also has his own company, Density Media. He actually uh, has a couple of games. One's called Dance Till Dawn, and it's basically a game where you actually use music and a constructed playlist to tell a story. Oh so, my God. Yeah. It, it's an absolute. All of me just stood up at attention right now. <laughs> uh, and there's another one called Bring the Beat Back, which is another, it's kind of like, you know, a revolution told through music. So it's this idea of now you're telling an emotional story with music because music is yet another form of expression. Absolutely. So it, it's not that typical, gra- like how powerful is that to a person who resonates with music? And again, like you had said, you don't get a lot of these approaches from your traditional mainstream who arguably do great at what they do. But when you have that really creative mechanic, like there's a lot of games that are map building, map building games that are also phenomenal co-op uh, experiences. Uh, the Quiet Year is one where it's, it's, it's a map building adventure kind of game where you're all in this community and you're trying to survive and there's a deck of like stuff that happens to you. But you collaboratively decide on where to put this on the map or where this is on the map. And it's a very interesting way of developing communication, but it's not your typical role to beat something up. I mean, there's Golden, uh, Golden Sky Stories, which is a Japanese based RPG that has no violence mechanic in it. It's a completely non-violent resolution and you're all henge, which are animal spirits that can transform into humans. And it's all about helping people with their problems or helping other animals with their problems. So it literally is like this completely unique property about creative thinking and nonviolent resolution. And it's just, it's so amazingly powerful, but most people, again, they don't know about a lot of these games. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of a shame, but it's also very encouraging because the, the indie community is incredibly vibrant and growing. Yeah. And I imagine you guys play a lot of these indies at your convention that's coming up, the, the saving, saving for Fear. Yes, uh, Save, Save Against, against fear. fear. Yep. Um, no, it's uh, this, we actually have 10... Ten special guests this year, uh, game designers, and I would say that uh, we we really don't directly have anybody like directly from like Wizards of the Coast or from Paizo. Like uh, we have Doug Lewandowski of Kids on Bikes. We have Eddie Webb of Pugmire, uh, Cynthia Celeste Miller from Spectrum Games. We have uh, Kate Bullock who has done a lot of work with Magpie Games and others. Uh, Camden Wright. Who was uh, one I love of the, Camden Wright? Oh yeah, One Child's Heart is going to be playtested uh-huh. at Save Against Fear, and I'm like all fanboy about it because, I mean, that system just speaks to what I like about the field and what I've done in the field. Uh, so we have actually most most of the folks. Barack is going to be there again this year. Um, also, I'm trying to think of all the folks because, like I said, we have like ten special guests this year. We only had really like I think about four or five. Brendan LaSalle of uh, Goodman Games, Mr. X Crawl, Dungeon Crawl Classics, he's going mm-hmm. to be joining us again. 
so yeah, we have a, a ton of designers that are coming to run their uh, product. We also have some wonderful panels uh, this year where uh, we're trying to upgrade it a little bit. One is a panel on building unique worlds for role playing, mm -hmm. and the other is called Mechanics with Meaning. And that's basically where we're actually talk to designers like Camden and Cynthia and Kate, like designers who have designed uh, role playing systems for a specific purpose, you know, to either educate or illuminate, uh, you know, to bring light to it to to a certain situation uh, of the human condition. So, I mean, we're very excited about that. Plus, Barack last year he ran a uh, workshop for teachers on how to turn your classroom into an escape game. Uh, experience so he's coming to bring some more of his oh, educational awesome. uh yes yeah, so, i mean that it, uh, save against fear uh we just broke 400 last year which for a fundraiser convention is is pretty incredible that is um, incredible it it's three days of games we have our uh close to if not over 2000 game board uh board game library uh, it's one of the things as folks go, well, it's all, all all just role-playing, right? Oh, no, no. Uh, we have, like I said, our huge game library, which is something we built mainly via donation over the years. But mm -hmm. that's a huge open-play library, and we do a customer service model. Uh, so we, we've grouped the games, instead of alphabetically, we group them by time limit. So when you're going to choose a game, if you only have an hour until your next session, grab a half an hour to 45-minute game. Uh, we have folks at the library who will come to your table with you, help you set the game up, help you run through the rules, run through a round or two, and then kind of like a concierge or, you know, wait staff will come by every now and then and go, hey, how are you enjoying the game? Is everything cool? Uh, if you don't like it, we can help you find something else. So it just, it's much, we try to make Save Against Fear a much more intimate experience for people. Uh, it's, it's like that down-home con with a big con flavor to it. Um, yeah, but most pridely, because uh, I know this is something we had talked that I, I would talk about. We also offer uh, continuing education uh, trainings on therapeutic RPG. Uh, so one of them is it's our one on one course, which is uh, just therapeutic applications of tabletop role playing games. So it is a theory class. It talks uh, mostly about some of those modalities and traditions that have informed this and then it goes over a rough overview of what does a model like this look like and how might we create an adventure so you know there's some activities that we've thrown in there's a lot of collaborative work uh, we actually have a sample caseload and we're like well what might you throw in the story for for this particular group of people um so that's our first training we actually ran that last year it was very successful for its first year we had 10 professionals signing up for the course wow. um this year we're running not only the 101 again but we're running our 201 which is creating uh therapeutically driven content for narrative role-playing games uh i'm sorry creating and implementing <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is uh kind of a response to a question a lot of professionals have which is yeah you know what i get it i get how rpg is therapeutic i, I totally am behind you on it how do you do it and i was yeah. like well, that's a tough question because uh, I've had people email me going, hey, where are the therapy modules? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. You, t you, know, you, t <laughs> you tell me. I mean, uh, up, up until the one uh, I do want to say, uh, Raphael, uh, Dr. B, 
uh, did co-write a wonderful module. I don't have the title offhand. I can try and get that to you. I'm so sorry. Uh, but it deals with like anxiety and uh, mental health disorder, but it mixes it in with the story. And it was actually, uh, it's up on uh, Wizards of the Coast. It, it's selling quite well. It's a wonderful little adventure that raises awareness. And, you know, it's also kind of a fundraiser as well where proceeds go um, to to benefit uh, Take This, I believe. So yeah. Um, yeah, the, the 201, now we talk about, well, the, you get this content by creating it and you create this content by, by balancing being a good GM with being a good therapist, because if you're not one of those two things, uh, I'm rather blunt, you probably shouldn't do this until you get good at both of those things. Cause, cause it's, it, yes, at a simple level, I guess, if you're, if we're just talking about just baseline social skills. Yeah, you could probably just play D&D or some board games and there would be some some benefit to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think via our approach, which is talking about, you know, specific conditions or diagnoses, you know, if we're going to talk about autism uh, spectrum disorders, you know, yes, social skills is, is a very fine, small piece to that. I mean, that's not just what autism is about. Sure. So, you know, either that or anxiety or depression, I mean, there's a whole process that also makes this kind of an adjunct model. So, you know, if I'm working with someone with anxiety, I don't want to just send them through a haunted house to scare the bejesus out of them. I, what I want to do firsthand is go, okay, what makes you anxious and what coping skills do you have? And let's practice those before we expose you mm -hmm. to these things in mm -hmm. the story. Because then let's go back to mindfulness. Maybe the exercise at first is realizing when we're experiencing anxiety through the story. So we have to build coping skills and, and skills to help protect that person. Because once you open that can, it's opened. You, ca you can't just, going back to our talk earlier, exposure therapy is not boo hey you're cured you know that's not how yeah, that works no, that doesn't it, work that way no it's you you you're at 10 well what we're going to do is we're going to see your 10 then we're going to kind of help get you down to eight and that means that next time when you're at a nine we can maybe get you to a seven and then eventually get you back down to one and then teach you to do that for yourself so it's a progressive therapy you know it's it's expose release treat with that model, I mean, just I don't want to go too deep into that, but I, so as an example, the creation of content and how you implement that content is really the rub with this model, because you're you're you have to look at who the person is, what they're working on, where they're at, their cognitive level, their developmental level, their functioning level. Like there's so many things to consider when you're creating anything from the world, the milieu, uh, you know, specifically like what town are you in? Is it a small town? Is it a big town? What kind of missions are you going on? Uh, what type of challenges do your player, like we even ask our players like, so what do you want to see? And if they're, and if the group is like, yeah, we don't like puzzles. Well, we don't use puzzles because that's not what they want. We, right. So if it's exploration and social conflict, okay, we're exploring caves and meeting people. All right, that's kind of where do we go from here? And, and I think that that attentiveness to what the player is looking for, it's like any other form of therapy. I'm not going to sit there and talk to you for an hour about something you don't want to talk about. But if we all know that this game is going to help you explore these ideas and we construct the story to fit those, we're going to get a lot more from both of us. And 
So it's so that that content training we're very excited it was based on a lot of feedback from our participants last year who wanted a, a content like that. So you know, you you said we heard we answered. You know that. Um, yeah. But but it's it's anything from we have activities about. Uh, okay, here's some random board games and paper and markers and glitter and paper and calculators and whatever. Go make a puzzle. You don't need it to be perfect, but just take Santorini and turn it into a D&D puzzle. Or take House of Bounce, which is like this weird ping pong ball mm -hmm. dexterity game. Turn that into a challenge for an RPG. You know, there's different colored balls. Do they signify different colors of elements that appease to the certain gods of the temple that you're in? Or do they apply to the colors of the different houses within Waterdeep? Like, there are so many ways that you can take something as simple of, I got four colors. What do I do? Yeah. How do you want to challenge the player and how does it fit into the story? So we're very excited about the 201. Um and that's part of our long-range plan for save to turn into a conference convention as opposed to just a game con. Uh, so it would be like, come for the classes, stay for the games. Uh, so we're slowly building that with a lot of our panels. We're also going to have a panel uh, on uh, accessibility for disability. That's being run by uh, Matt Stanford, who okay. is uh, from Legendary Pants, our major sponsor for the event. They're sponsoring the uh, all the tables and chairs as well as the convention area. So they're our major sponsor. But uh, Matt himself, he's a person with disability who is going to be talking about you know his experience with accessibility so i mean there's a lot of great stuff that we're bringing to say beyond organized play people running their own homebrew systems we have a vibrant playtest area that uh if you're an independent game designer and you have a product that's not for sale yet and you want to play test it we'll give you a spot for free as long as they're still available we won't charge you for booth space if you're a developer that is just getting started because wow. you're the you're the future of gaming. So it, it's yes, we want to raise money and it's a fundraiser, but we've always been very careful to not, you know, speaking of bleed in a different way. You know, we mm -hmm. we don't want to be like, well, okay, uh, well, there's your ten dollar walking tax and here's your five dollar badge tax and well, if you want to <laughs> be in this tournament, that's an extra and that's an extra and that's an extra. So. You know, we offer a lot to just build this community around the fact that we all know what gaming can do. So it's about getting together to talk about that and to share in that spirit so we can spread the word as well as raise money for, for the various projects of Odana. Uh, it's currently in its ninth year. It'll be October 11th through the 13th uh, this year at the East Harrisburg Mall in Harrisburg, PA. Uh, it's $40 for the weekend, which gets you... Again, any any tournaments that are run, any um, uh, we have like mini painting stations that are going to be there. We have a ton of vendors, ton of of games, uh, anything from Pathfinder Society play to Adventures League to we had Greyhawk Reborn was there with us last year, so they joined wow. on. Uh, so it's it's growing. Um, like I said, we actually last year we doubled our attendance from two thirteen to four oh six. So in one year, we completely shot beyond what we what we yeah, thought we could growing. obtain. Oh yeah, we're 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 coming up hard and fast, and and it's good because, it, like I said, we've gotten most of our our contacts and our people that we've done a lot of services for. We've met most of them from Save Against Fear, and a lot of them are our backers now. 
Um, Game to Grow is, is, a, is a supporter of uh, Bodana. The Tommy Foundation is a local agency that works with parents and families experiencing autism. Uh, they've been a, a solid backer of ours. We just did a board game event for them yesterday where we all meet at a local game store six feet under games and we play board games to make new friends and meet new people. So it's therapeutic. It's, it's skill-based, but it's not therapy, but it's fun. And the kids are yeah. learning to make new friends. You know, we got families coming back. We got people inviting their friends to come and enjoy this. So, and I'm, it just opens my heart because that's natural supports. Now people are using games as that language to, to develop and grow. And it's just so wonderful to, you know, to, to, to be a part of it is how I always like to, to, to phrase that. So, yeah, I would say save is, save is one of our major things. Um, it's amazing. I, I just, I, <laughs> I, I I didn't really know much about Save Against Fear before I, before I started looking at your website and and now talking to you obviously, um, you're talking about a CEU based training. Is, is this also part of the forty dollar fee? Uh, well, the C. Thank you for bringing that up. I uh, forgot to go there. Uh, the, well, the <laughs> C. The CE training is a is a special arrangement. It's what we call our therapist track. Um, so that's a ticket of 150. But what okay. that what that gets the professional is you get uh, the the training. You also get a weekend pass to the event. We typically do a special drawing. Uh, for the folks that take that course, like it's something special that might be a little bit more therapeutically go, uh, like you know, for the participants. Uh, but what we're also doing this year is we're adding specialized session content uh, that we're uh, literally, we're kind of like calling out a pop-up module. So the idea is we, we talk to a bunch of professionals that we know who are doing this type of work in their own practice. Because again, we're not the only, you know, we didn't think of it. We're not the only folks doing it. So we don't mm -hmm. like to pretend that we are. Um, so a big part of that is, you know, we got my buddy Mike Fields uh, down in, uh, I believe it's Georgia. I hope I didn't misrepresent that, Mike. Uh, mm -hmm. But he, he's a professional who does a lot of work with children, uh, specifically folks on the autism spectrum. But Mike's a phenomenal game master. I'm like, dude, you know, write, a, write an adventure that has some therapeutic benefit to it and run that session as a therapist for other therapists. So this way you can also meet and greet with other professionals. So it adds a networking component to what we're trying to do with SAVE. But again, it shows you if you're a, a, a starting out in this process, it's showing you what someone who's been doing the work is doing. So it's going to give you a work. Now it's beyond theory. Now it's beyond even simple application in a training. Now it's actually theory and practice at a table. So we yeah. see the way that the person injects that content into the, into the, into the milieu. It's about how they respond to player agency within that context. It's so many pieces that we're just building into, Hey man, it's con. <laughs> and, and, and if you want to come and do the therapist track sessions, that's great. If you want to come as a professional, get the training and play in just different indie systems to see about new games you could bring back to your practice, even better. It's giving people the opportunity to learn in the way that they would like to, but making sure the content matches to the training. So uh, to thank, thank you for helping me point that one out that the, uh, yeah, the therapist track is a little bit different. Uh, yeah. But again, it's, uh, uh, it's, we are currently, we've submitted the CE uh, reapprovals for this year. So mm -hmm. we're waiting to hear back from them. Uh, so we'll make a huge announcement when we get the, when we get the word that those are good to go. So. 
this is also fantastic, and I, I think I could talk to you forever about this, all this stuff. And I didn't even get like into the all the stuff that I wanted to talk about. It's just impossible. You you have such a wealth of knowledge and such an amazing uh, base of ideas that uh, we we can draw from this for for a while. Um, I know you wanted to talk about uh, your your book that was just released in last October. And uh, I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, definitely. I uh, So Wizards, Warriors, and Wellness, uh, Therapeutic Applications of Role-Playing Games, uh, was the Bodana Group's first release. Uh, it was written uh, by myself and uh, Baron Blackley, uh, who is, uh, is a, a, a wonderful man, a father that I met through Save Against Fear. So, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't just whistling Dixie. Right. Um, but uh, he and I had, uh, had initially looked at uh, authoring, and we actually at one point had written like a ten-chapter book about you know selecting your game, finding the right players, you know, and it was more written like, well, if you're a parent of a child who's looking for this, or if you're a therapist, we'll kind of give you some therapy, some parent, and you know, we kind of looked at this big beast of a project, and we were like, wow, I think we're, <laughs> uh, I think we're a little too finessed with what we want to do here. Uh, why don't we stream it down and turn it kind of into a primer? Uh, so what we did is we took that illustrious magnus opus uh, and uh, we turned it into Wizards, Wars, and Wellness, which is mm-hmm. a 38-page uh, uh, book that uh, it basically goes over uh, some of the general ideas of what skill sets are, are built via role-playing games specifically, what the modality looks like, you know, or what the approach looks like. And then towards the back of the book, it says, well, here's some potential applications. Note the extensive use of warning, warning, warning. This is not therapy advice. Please do not take this, you know, all, all of that cover yourself kind yeah. of stuff. But it's like, well, if you're working with a person with anxiety, you know, here's a way that you could use a game for this. Like even talking to the point of like dread, which is a wonderful talking about our indie systems thing. You know, it's a great mm-hmm. game that uses Jenga as a, as a resolution mechanic, but it also uses these very carefully constructed question and answer sheets that could hold a lot of therapeutic benefit for people working through any number of issues. So it, we talk about that in the book and we talk about a bunch of different, and, and we, we were kind of like, hey, let's throw it out there. You know, let's see how the universe responds to it. It's, it's a small little booklet. We, at the point, at the time when we were doing it, we were kind of like, eh, it'll just be a PDF, no problem. It's only 38 pages, right? Who would want to print out of that? Well, apparently a lot of people would want to print out of that. Uh, we we officially launched uh, on, I believe it was March 11th. Mm-hmm. And since that time, we are currently up to 927 downloads. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, we, uh, it is still available on DriveThruRPG. Um and it's a pay-what-you-want title. Um, I always kind of tell folks, yeah, on one side, it's kind of fundraising for us because, you know, if you do the recommended amount or any amount, it all goes to Bodana. Um, but if you don't have a lot and you just want to find out what this is like, if you want to explain it to, you know, a therapist in your area who, you you know, you know works with your child but maybe could benefit from starting to adapt some of these principles or, you know, if you want to learn better how to talk to your school about starting a, a role-playing game club or your local library or whatever, it's, it's a great resource that we've actually, like – knocked me over with ever i've actually been cited as a resource now because of wizards warriors and wellness and i'm like what when did hold on 
<laughs> when did that happen? Um, uh, one of our uh, speaking on uh, Gen Con, not to go too deep into it, but we actually had a presentation on. It was called Off the Shelf Therapeutic RPG isn't just D&D. So we talked about like Mouse Guard and Pendragon, you know, like all these different systems. Uh, and in the middle of the panel, we were talking about Wizards, Warriors, and Wellness. And one of the persons in the audience was like, Whoa, wait, wait a minute, what was the title of that? And where can I get that? And I'm not even kidding you. Uh, one of the persons in the crowd literally reached into his book bag, pulled out a PDF printed copy, and he hands it to the guy. And he's like, here, go ahead, man. I can just print out more. And I was, <laughs> literally, I was like, what is, did the Hadron Collider like activate again? And I'm like in this weird parallel dimension. Uh, but I mean, but sincerely, I think it kind of speaks to the fact that people want to know more about this and, you know, something like that. Yeah. Technically I'm kind of giving people some of the building blocks on how to do this. That's. I'm okay with that. Bodana's okay with that. The field should be okay with that. Because um, we're actually taking the idea of Wizards, Wars, and Wellness, where here's the primer. It's the short form. Uh, we're actually currently writing a, a another uh, Wizards, Wars, and Wellness that's going to focus on therapeutic board games. Uh, we're also going to write a guide for... Uh, people on how to start your own game clubs in schools, churches, libraries, community centers. So it'll contain <clears throat> everything from what you should consider, how you form your group, how often you meet, uh, even how you get donations and like giving kids like sample letters that they could send to their school or their library. So really like kind of a kit. Um, and and it, then we're those are going to be some of our releases that are starting off the whole series. So we're actually developing Wizards, Words, and Wellness into a series. So we're going to have one that focuses on anxiety disorders, one that focuses on depression, one that focuses on ASD. And the whole idea is that those will do a little bit of a deeper dive and they're more designed for practitioners. So now we could say, well, what modifications might you need to make to the game for someone maybe with ADHD or on the spectrum or who has an abuse trauma history? Uh, then we'll give like some sample story starters, maybe a random chart or two for encounters, and then a little sample short adventure. And these books will then be a series. So if you're a professional who's dealing mostly with persons with anxiety, well, download the anxiety book. Uh, if you're focusing with, fo you know, with children, we have some professionals that are helping write one about how to do this with younger children, because there's, all, again, there's so many considerations to this. Uh, so uh, we're actually, in addition to running groups, we also want to kind of put ourselves out there as content producers, because we really do specialize in individualizing our, our content. Every group that we run has a 100% completely unique story. We, we do not recycle. We don't reuse the same thing over and over again, which, again, can have its benefits and its drawbacks. Uh, it's just one of our approach standpoints is, is you match the story to the person because that's what they need. So that's uh, Wizards, Warriors, and Wellness. Again, it's it's pay what you want. Recommended download is ten dollars. Uh, so if you want to do a buck, if you want to do two bucks, if you want to do no bucks, we're totally fine with that. Just you know, get it, read it, and let us know what you think. And there's more on the way. Excellent. So and you can get that on Drive Through RPG. I just saw that today. Yep, yep. Um, so it's there, and everything's fixed about it. So you can pay what you want and and move forward. And uh, it's just fantastic. I'm I'm so excited for all the work you guys are doing. <laughs> Uh, oh, I'm, I'm does excited. my little therapeutic heart good to, <laughs> to know that work like this is going on in the world? 
Oh, it's yeah, it's one of it's one of those things. I mean, it, it is somewhat a tough sell depending on where you're at. Uh, we yeah. always have to kind of tell parents, you know, let me again explain why you're not just paying me to play games with your kid. <laughs> like, let, we'll have that conversation again. That's totally fine. We are just playing games, but here it is. So yeah, it's 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 definitely fun and it's engaging, and then that's even just the RPG aspect. There's a there's a ton of board game stuff that we do anything from using board games in the classroom so we talk to teachers we mm-hmm. presented at gifted conferences and uh events uh, yeah it's it, there are tons of games and there are multiple other you know tons of ways to use them so that that's kind of where we're at and uh information you can always check us out on uh, org. Uh, we have the bodana group facebook you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Bodana Group, and I'm on Twitter as at Bodana Jack. So I think that those are all of our social media tags. <laughs> I've, as, as an old man, I have to wait. What is the thing with the stuff I have to say for the kids? What is it again? <laughs> you know, it's like I was like you're really I'm 47 going on 85 apparently. It, it gets <laughs> it gets overwhelming because there's so much social media, and we want to reach out and get our tentacles to everybody that we can. Yes, but it, it, it's hard because you have to manage all these different social media systems. So. I get it. I, I uh, when I get to the end of an episode of Rolling for Change and I have to go through my list of things, and I've never done the list where it has everything in it. So it's it's uh, you just have to hope people come and find you, engage with you, and and build story with you. So Jack Birkensock, I have I've so appreciated our conversation today, and oh, same uh, here, we're Woody. we're going to have amazing. you back because there's so much more we can talk about, and I want listeners to know everything about what you're doing so oh thank you um, well thank you so much that i i love having opportunities to talk about and you're you're a phenomenal show to go on this is this is one of one of the one of the best interviews i've been on excellent i love it that's good to hear (laughs) yeah it's 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 less of an interview and it's more of just like a friendly chat and I, i like that we got a lot of great plus the the therapeutically minded chatter that going back and forth is is the really engaging. I, I love talking about the meat, and clearly you do as well. So that's absolutely. Awesome. So I can geek out about the the games quite a lot, and also I, you know, my my goal is to see more games doing good things for people and play more games. That, that just like uh, yeah. just like Will Wheaton says, it's. It's so important right now, and uh, if we can bring our attention to these environments and to these pursuits, we'll we'll make the world a much better place because we we won't be putting our our attentions on things that aren't helpful to other people. So that is definitely the truth, sir. All right, Jack. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I, I look forward to talking to you again. And uh, everyone else out there, keep on rolling for change and and come visit us. Tell us your stories. We, we look forward to, to talking to you all. all right. We're looking at being at PAX Unplugged, and that's going to be very exciting for us. And uh, who knows where else we'll turn up, but uh, just keep watching for us. All right. All well, right. Th- thank you again, Woody. Be well, everybody. You've been listening to Rolling for Change, a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. If you want to learn more, geek out and do good over at network.geektherapy.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so in the following ways. We are at Roll for Change over on Twitter. Our email is gamers at rollingforchange.com. You can tap us on the shoulder at geektherapy.com forward slash discord, or you can summon us to your party or ritual if you use spell 42 of the Gamers Summoning Handbook. 
If you happen to enjoy the wonderful cascading keys and guitars of this background music, know that this is the band Rocket Scientists, and you can find their music at Bandcamp or Amazon. Thanks so much for joining us on this trek through the gaming realms, and as always, keep on rolling for change. Mm-hmm.